The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 902. Today I'm talking about the evolution of Bodhi Rook's character during the production of Rogue One. Punch it, Chewie. Feel a disturbance in the Force? It's Star Wars 7x7, your daily seven-minute podcast. With your host, Alan Voivod. Destiny Unleashed. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and I'm starting to feel just a little bit like I'm beating a dead horse with the whole reshoots thing, but it's very relevant, particularly when it comes to Bodhi Rook, because of all the characters that were affected by the reshoots, supposedly, at least according to Riz Ahmed, the actor who plays Bodhi Rook, to hear Riz tell it, nobody was more significantly affected than Bodhi Rook, and that has been echoed in other quarters as well. So cast your mind back in time with me. Think back to June of this year when Entertainment Weekly published their first cover story on Rogue One. It included a thumbnail synopsis of the characters appearing. And here is what they said about Bodhi Rook. This is Anthony Bresnikan's writing along with Kathleen Kennedy in the interview. It says, Bodhi is the Rebel Squad's lead pilot. He tends to be hot-headed, but any abrasiveness is overshadowed by his skills in the air and the void of space. Quote, he flies a lot of cargo, one of his key jobs, Kennedy says, and tends to be a little tense, a little volatile, but everybody in the group really relies on his technical skills. Unquote. Now, I don't think I can go any farther in this podcast without the obligatory spoiler warning, so... Here we go. If you have not seen Rogue One yet and don't want it spoiled for you, then save this podcast for a later date. Stop what you're doing. Pull over to the side of the road. Get off the elliptical machine. Stop folding the laundry and just skip this episode for now. But if you are still game to be here with me, I think we've given everybody's fumbling fingers enough time to pause, stop, skip, and do all that. So here we go. Past the spoiler warning and into spoiler territory. First of all, what skills? I mean... <laughs> Really? Okay? This is not a knock on Riz or Bodhi Rook or the filmmakers or anything like that. I'm just saying that if you're going to talk about his skills piloting, what did he really do in Rogue One that showed off his amazing flying skills? I'm going to say absolutely nothing. Sure, he managed to find an Imperial cargo shuttle in time to rescue the rebels on Edu, and yeah, that's definitely something that's important, but... You know, when you think of piloting skills like that, you think of some real daring-do kind of stuff. You think of, like, Han Solo and Rey flying the Millennium Falcon, that sort of thing. But no, not so much. I guess what you could give him credit for is flying casual, which, in the face of danger, is not the easiest thing to do, because that's essentially what he did when they arrived at Scarif and had to transmit their clearance codes to get through the shield gate. But hot-headed? Abrasive? Volatile? I mean, I think she even called him a troublemaker at some point. Yeah, none of that in the actual movie. And so that's a key right there that we have reshoots that significantly affected his character. Now, of course, he's been doing a lot of interviews since the movie came out. And one of them, here's what he says. He says, 
You signed up for the movie not having read a script or knowing where the character sat in the movie. I've got to be honest, the character was a different character at that point. He had a different name and a different relationship to the rest of the team, and he really evolved once I signed on and once I started shooting even. They decided to start expanding the role and introducing him earlier, and he became more integral to the story and the rest of the team. It's interesting looking back that I signed up knowing nothing, but ultimately I'd sign up for a Star Wars movie to make tea just to be around that level of creativity, unquote. He says that he was actively contributing ideas, and he says that by the end of the movie, from a combination of what I was doing and what they felt the story needed, he was just a totally different character with a different name, a different job, a different everything, and much more part of the ensemble. So that'll give you a good thumbnail portrait of what happened to Bodhi Rook's character during the development and production of Rogue One. And for my money, his loss is probably the one that hurts the most. The reviews that have been critical about Rogue One have talked about a thinness of characterization. I mean, yeah, it's not hard to defend that point. But Bodhi certainly has one of the most complete character arcs in the whole movie. And one of the things I'm looking forward to learning more about, hopefully at some point in the future, is how Bodhi and Galen actually met and got to talking. I mean... Yeah, of course, Bodhi is a cargo pilot, and very likely he has been flying shipments of kyber crystals from Jeddah to Edu, and so, yeah, that puts him within Galen's sphere very easily. But how did Galen pick him, you know? I mean, that would have had to happen over the course of weeks, months, maybe even years of talking to pilots that have been flying in and out of the Edu installation and finally figuring out which one was the right pilot to talk to, because I'm sure Galen can't be talking this up to a whole bunch of cargo pilots and deciding that, hey, I'm going to try and recruit all of them. I mean, one of them's going to backfire, right? So he's got to pick the right one because he's only going to get one shot at that. And Bodhi's the guy, but he's in over his head, literally and figuratively. And yeah, I guess maybe some of that volatility, some of that hostility, some of that abrasiveness, maybe that's still present, I guess, in the interactions he has with Saw's flunkies and initially when he meets Saw Gerrera. But for me, at least, it comes across more like fear and desperation and overwhelm. And yeah, that would make anybody a little jittery, I would say, and a little anxious. And then you throw the Borgullet at him, you know, that crazy octopus creature that will make you lose your mind. Yeah, uh, Bodhi's had a very bad day. He had a bad day. All right, I'll stop there. Anyway, ultimately, what Bodhi seems to kind of come down to is, do you remember the, the Hemingway short story, The Short Happy Life of Francis McComber? That's what jumped out at me, because he keeps making these small choices that building up over time, bring his courage back, and he gets to face bigger and bigger obstacles as a result. And yeah, he's challenged every single time, whether it's, you know, finding the cargo ship on Edu, or whether it's flying to Scarif and making sure that they get in the shield gate, to dealing with the communications cable and having to talk to the stormtroopers that have caught him in the act. So the Macomber story, if you're not familiar with it, basically he's out on safari, and I'll skip all the details and all the other stuff about it, but he's on a safari, he has a runaway scared when a lion presented itself, and he's ashamed of himself in front of the safari party and all this, and eventually he works and gets his courage back and is able to face down a water buffalo and charging. And the short, happy life aspect of it is supposed to be contained in the fact that he takes one shot at the water buffalo and doesn't quite hit where he needs to hit. 
And even though this thing is bearing down on him, he actually takes a moment to breathe, reload, and shoot again and kills the water buffalo. And it's supposed to be that moment that he has his short, happy life. That's Hemingway for you. And I feel like Bodhi has that kind of experience, and he has it over and over again. Unfortunately, with the Macomber situation, Macomber dies pretty quick because his wife shoots, and of course it's ambiguous as to whether she's shooting the buffalo trying to protect him, or whether she's mad at his <laughs> regaining of his manhood and shooting him to reassert herself. You know, that's a whole situation, and yeah, Hemingway has his thing with women, so I'm not trying to open up that vault or anything like that. I'm only trying to talk about Macomber himself and that character gaining his confidence back, and it seems like Bodhi Rook over the course of the movie has situations where that happens for him. And so the short happy life part of it has to do with that stupid fragmentation grenade that the short trooper chucks into the cargo ship. And why does he even think that that ship is a problem anyway, that short trooper? I guess maybe he's figured out that that's the ship with which the rebels infiltrated the base. But man, that one hurt more than anything else because Bodhi had his moment in the sun. He did everything he needed to do. He switched sides. He took risks. He pushed himself to the limit. And unfortunately, the filmmakers had to take him away from us. And much too soon, in my opinion, because quite honestly... Based on who he was before he walked into the events of this movie, I don't think Bodhi Rook was necessarily an interesting character. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't really become interesting until he had his call to action. So maybe maybe a movie of this whole situation told from Bodhi Rook's perspective where you actually get the Galen conversations and you get the refusal of the call. Like, he had his own hero's journey in a way, and it just it's too bad that it had to end the way that it did. It's like Luke Skywalker in a way. I mean, how much would we want to watch a movie about a month in the life of Luke Skywalker before the droids showed up on Tatooine and before old Ben showed up and all that stuff? I mean, yeah, we'd be curious, of course. But really, is that going to make for very compelling filmmaking? Probably not. Is Luke a very compelling character before the robots show up? Probably not. And... I feel like it's the same way with Bodhi Rook. I don't think he was very compelling until Galen got a hold of him. And so, unfortunately, the best part of Bodhi Rook's character is the part that we got to see. And now we won't get to see it anymore. So rest in peace, Bodhi Rook. You were taken from us too soon. And that is going to do it for the podcast today, with the exception of your trivia question. Yeah, trivia is back. <laughs> and I've got that coming up right after the break, so stay tuned. Hey Rebel Rouser, you're listening to this podcast, maybe you'd like to listen to a Star Wars story too. Luckily we've got just the thing for you. We've partnered with Audible to give you a free download and a free 30-day trial of their awesome service. All you gotta do is go to audibletrial.com SW7X7 to sign up and get your free download. They've got dozens of Star Wars titles, anything you want to do to explore that galaxy far, far away. One more time for you, audibletrial.com SW7X7. Welcome back. I've got a trivia question here for you. This is our chance to make a real difference. You know, I just started reading the Rogue One novelization, and I can't wait to see if some of these lines that were cut from the movie actually appear in the novel, but I'm sure you will be hearing about that from me pretty soon, one way or the other. Anyway, last time, back on Monday, actually, I asked you who or what Finn thought had found him and Ray when the Falcon was caught in a tractor beam, and that was the First Order. Today's question... 
Which of the two gangs knew that the First Order was on the lookout for two fugitives in a BB unit? Was it the Guavian Death Gang or Kanja Club? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you engage those Star Destroyers at point-blank range, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not the shortest offensive of all time, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.